Welcome to The Motivated Mind, where I challenge you to expand your perspective on how to achieve a successful life through motivational lessons, reflections, and interviews with other motivated minds. Welcome back to The Motivated Mind, a top 100 health podcast, thanks to each of you. This is episode 316, and I'm your host, Scott Lynch. Thanks so much for listening. If I've brought you any value, please be sure to leave a review and hit that subscribe or follow button. Don't be a stranger. Shoot me a DM on Instagram or Facebook and let me know what you want to hear more of. And please be sure to share the podcast. You can learn all the skills in the world, math, business, writing, but the right mindset will always trump them all. It's a great unlock to all other skills. Success and happiness come down to one single component, and that's mindset. In order to achieve our goals in life, our mindset needs to match those aspirations. And this is exactly what I pack into my free weekly newsletter. As a free subscriber, you receive the Mastering Your Mindset newsletter once per week packed with actionable insights on how to master your mindset and optimize your happiness. If you haven't subscribed, but you enjoy the content I drop on this podcast, then you're missing out. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe for free to the Mastering Your Mindset newsletter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I feel like it's allowed me to be more creative because I've been able to simplify the admin aspect of my podcast and focus on developing more valuable and creative content. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Dale Carnegie is the quintessential self-help author. His 1936 bestseller, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is still a popular title and has sold over 15 million copies. He wrote How to Stop Worrying and Start Living because he felt he was, quote, one of the unhappiest lads in New York due to excessive worrying and wanted to find out how to stop. Here are my notes on ideas and concepts I found interesting from How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, a self-help classic that clearly outlines why worrying is bad for you and what you can do about it. Number one, confusion causes worry. How would you feel if someone told you on Sunday evening that come Monday morning, you would be thrown into a torture chamber? 
Would you worry? Well, obviously, but there would be a way to deal with those worries. Confusion is the chief cause of worry, said Herbert E. Hawks, the dean of Columbia College for 25 years. According to him, few people bother analyzing the facts of their situation when they are worried. He proposed that all kinds of worries can be resolved by applying a simple three-step analysis. And that is precisely what Gallen Litchfield did in 1942 when he was stuck in Japanese-occupied Shanghai. He received news that a Japanese admiral had found out about the assets he'd hidden from the Japanese. And his punishment was to be thrown into the notorious torture chamber of the Japanese secret police on Monday. Litchfield heard the news on Sunday, and he wondered what to do. His solution was to follow these three steps. First, gather the facts about why we're worried. Litchfield took a typewriter, I know a throwback, and wrote down what he was worried about. Obviously, being tortured to death in the morning was the answer. Second, analyze those facts. Litchfield wrote, what can I do about it? And underneath that, he listed his various options, like fleeing, explaining himself, or acting like nothing happened. Third, make a decision about what to do and do it. Litchfield decided his only option was to go into work like nothing had happened. And apparently, the Japanese admiral had calmed down because he basically just gave Litchfield a dirty look. Talk about a close call. Most of us would be sweating through our shirts like we were eating some of our grandmother's spicy cooking. All right, what's the moral of this story? Litchfield is one lucky son of a bitch. Well, aside from this obvious takeaway, the true moral of the story is that analyzing our worries carefully can literally save our life. Number two, once you've decided how to address your worries, take action and never look back. Have you ever made a decision in life to only constantly second guess it afterwards? I bet a lot of you are nodding your head right now because this tendency is very common in people. We constantly wonder whether we did the right thing and whether there might still be time to take another path. Now, Although this tendency is common, it can also be very damaging when we're trying to find ways to address our worries. Now, of course, when we're trying to decide how to resolve a worrying issue, we need to start by analyzing the facts. However, once this analysis is complete and we have chosen a course of action, we should not revert back to the analysis phase. Remember, we've already made our decision, so we need to act decisively on it and dismiss all of our anxiety about it. Don't stop for a moment to hesitate, to reconsider, or to retrace your steps. Even the slightest doubt can lead to a chain reaction of doubts, which means unraveling all of the analysis and work we've already put into addressing our worries. Once we've chosen a course of action, we need to stick to it and never waver. 
because otherwise we'll find ourselves back at square one. Number three, live for today. Have you ever spent a night tossing and turning, mulling over something that happened in the past or that might happen in the future? If so, you're not alone. Most people have. But the question is, to what end? Worrying about the past or the future is absolutely pointless. Writer Stephen Leacock described this absurdity perfectly. And here's his take. He describes a child who says, when I am a big boy. Then, when the child is a big boy, he says, when I grow up. As a grown-up, he says, when I am married. And as a married man, he thinks, when I can retire. But when he has retired and looks back over the distance he has come, he will feel a cold wind and realize he has missed it all and it's too late. Now, to avoid such a sad fate, we should only live in the present. And we can accomplish this by thinking about a boat. Now, you're probably thinking, a boat? What does that help with, Captain Phillips? Just as boats have different watertight compartments, we need daytight compartments. This is an effective way to limit our attention to the present day and protect ourselves from useless attention on the past or speculation about the future. And the rule is simple. Whatever happened in the past or might happen in the future must not intrude upon today. Now, of course, we can and should still plan and prepare for the future, but there's often little use in worrying about it. The best kind of preparation for the future is to do the very best that we can in our life and work in the present moment. One example of someone who would have benefited from this advice is a widow who was near suicidal with grief and loneliness. While reading an article one day, she stumbled across the quote, Every day is a new life to a wise man. Inspired by these words, the widow repeated them to herself each morning thereafter, ultimately finding success and happiness in her life. Yesterday is dead, and tomorrow is unborn. So, we shouldn't worry about them. Instead, we need to focus only on what we can do today. Number four, whenever you're facing trouble, embrace the worst case scenario and try to improve from there. When a man named Earl P. Haney was told he had ulcers in his small intestine, the outlook was bleak. Doctors told him he must rest and watch what he eats, but nevertheless, that he would likely die very soon. In response, Haney did something spectacular. He embraced his fate. This simple idea is the basis for a magical three-step approach to stop worrying. If we're worried about something, we should first ask ourselves, what's the worst thing that could happen? Define the absolute worst-case scenario. Could you lose your job, be jailed, get killed? For Haney, he figured all he had to look forward to was a slow, lingering death. Next, accept this worst-case scenario. Assume for a moment that the worst is what will happen. Most likely, the worst-case scenario is not that bad, and it's conceivable we could even bounce back from it. 
If, for example, you lose your job, you could always find another. Once we accept this worst-case scenario, we will likely feel much calmer. For Haney, of course, his worst-case scenario was horrible, but he accepted it and prepared for it. He even purchased a casket so his body could be shipped to his family plot in Nebraska. Finally, devote your efforts to improving on the worst-case scenario. Haney decided that if he was going to die anyway, he might as well make the most of it. Over the objection of doctors, he decided to travel around the world with his casket, by the way. He drank cocktails and ate strange native food. He endured monsoons and typhoons, and he sang songs and made friends. By the time he returned home, he had forgotten all about the ulcer, and shortly thereafter sold the casket back to the undertaker. And the best part? He hasn't been ill for a day in his life. Number five, don't sink energy into hopeless situations or grudges. Set a limit for yourself after which you stop worrying about them. Most people have this unfortunate capacity to fret and stress endlessly about any negative experiences they encounter, when in fact, they'd be better off simply walking away from them. Fretting is senseless. By giving into it, we allow misfortunes to penetrate our happiness, which comes at a high cost. So how can we avoid fretting over misfortunes? One surprising solution lies in a well-known strategy taught by a famous stock trader, the stop-loss order. A stop-loss order means that shares are bought at a certain price and then their price development is observed. If things go badly and the share price hits a certain point, let's say 10% below the price they were bought for, then they are sold off immediately. This stops the loss from increasing further, hence the name. One person who probably would have benefited from applying a stop-loss order to his life was the Russian literary giant Leo Tolstoy. Tolstoy lived in a pure hell of a marriage where both parties placed the blame solely on each other for 50 years. Why did he not simply say enough is enough and stop the losses he was incurring by suffering in his marriage. The stop-loss order can also be applied to grudges. It is simply not sensible to pay out our time and energy on resenting someone personally. Abraham Lincoln, for example, said he never felt that any benefit came from quarreling, and he immediately forgave those who attacked him once they stopped. So, from here on out, Put a stop-loss order on things that cause you stress and grief. Number six, be happy by focusing on the positives in life and acting happy. Most people would say their emotions influence the way they think and act. But, in fact, as psychologist William James said, they go hand in hand. This means that though we can't directly influence how we feel, we can influence it indirectly through how we think and act. And one way to feel happier is to act happier. 
If you're feeling sad or low, slap a big grin on your face and whistle a chipper tune like it's a 1940s cartoon. Because by doing so, you'll find it impossible to be blue when acting cheerful. Now, you don't necessarily need to act outwardly happy. An alternative and complementary way to feel happier is to simply think happier thoughts. The great philosopher who ruled the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, summed it up perfectly. Our life is what our thoughts make it. If you think happy thoughts, you are likely to feel happier. Therefore, we shouldn't hold on to negative issues. We should instead focus only on the positive. Consider the woman who had to move to the Mojave Desert because her husband's army training camp was located there. At first, she hated it. It was insufferably hot, and she was surrounded by others that did not speak English, and there was sand in everything. But then her father told her to focus on the positive. And so she did. She began to love the desert, the Joshua trees, the sunsets, and the natives. The next time you feel blue, try to think and act happy. You might succeed. Even if not, at least you will be focusing your thoughts away from the negative. Number seven, don't expect gratitude. Give for the joy of giving. Think back to the last time you did a favor for someone. Were they grateful? If not, did you feel slightly offended and frustrated? When we perform acts of kindness, we often do so with the expectation of gratitude. But harboring these expectations will most likely leave us disappointed. People tend to be thoughtless and ungrateful. And this is just human nature. And we can't change it. One person who knew this well was the Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. He wrote in his diary one day that he will meet people who are selfish, egotistical, ungrateful, but I wouldn't be surprised or disturbed, for I couldn't imagine a world without such people. Another person who was well aware of people's innate selfishness was the lawyer Samuel Leibowitz. Over the course of his career, Leibowitz saved 78 people from going to the electric chair. Guess how many people thanked him? None. So stop expecting gratitude when you're kind to someone. Instead, take pure joy from the act itself. This will make you happier and give you pleasure, even if others do not appreciate the act or reciprocate. Finally, remember that gratitude must be cultivated. This means that if our children are ungrateful, this is our fault. We need to teach them to be grateful for the things they receive. Number eight, don't envy or imitate others. Be yourself. Congratulations because you are unique. There is no one else like you, nor will there ever be on this earth. Your genes are completely unique. Even if someone had the same parents as you, the likelihood of someone identical to you being born is one in 300,000 billion. And despite this amazing fact, many of us long to be someone else. For some reason, we're convinced that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. But living our lives this way 
it is pointless. It's far better to embrace our uniqueness and be comfortable with who we are. In fact, there's a great risk in wanting to be someone else. If we don't accept ourselves and embrace our uniqueness, we could trigger many psychological afflictions. No one is as miserable as someone who longs to be someone else. Not only will this lead to misery, but it's also a huge waste of potential. According to the psychologist William James, people who have not found themselves use about only 10% of their potential. So it makes sense then that we should not waste a single atom of that potential trying to be someone else. Now, one person who learned this valuable lesson was Edith Allred. Due to childhood traumas, Allred was very nervous and unsure of herself. Feelings which were compounded by the fact that her husband's family were extremely self-confident. Compared to them, she felt like a failure. And as time went on, Allred began to contemplate suicide. So what saved her? One day, her mother-in-law revealed in passing that she taught her children that they should always be themselves, no matter what. And inspired, Allred began thinking about who she was, not how she could try to be like others. She is now happier and more confident than she has ever thought possible. Number nine, people criticize those they envy. Think of criticism against you as disguised compliments. Have you ever wondered why politicians and celebrities seem to attract such a vile public criticism? The reason is actually quite simple. People take vulgar satisfaction in tearing down those more accomplished than they are. Now, why is this? Belittling those we envy is actually a basic human tendency. We do it because it makes us feel more important by comparison. And one extreme example of this tendency is a caustic letter the author received from an embittered and spiteful woman. So who was her target? None other than William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. She claimed he was a fraudster and embezzler. Evidently, she gained pleasure from attempting to smear such a publicly acclaimed figure. Because people are so prone to criticizing those they admire and envy, we should take such criticism, and not as an insult, but as a compliment. As the saying goes, no one kicks a dead dog. In other words, if we are criticized, it often means we're accomplishing something noteworthy. In fact, if we continue along this line of reasoning, we can conclude that the more we are criticized, the more influential and important a person we likely are. So the next time you're criticized, don't let it get you down. Take it as a compliment. Number 10, learn to relax and rest before you get tired. Have you ever noticed that after a rough day, tiring day, you are prone to be more gloomy than at lunchtime? Most people would assume that all of the intellectual labor at the office was the problem, was the reason that they were worn down. But those people would be mistaken. Mental work alone cannot make you tired. And scientists have discovered this. Even after 12 hours, mental labor alone will not tire out the brain. So what's behind this exhaustion then? 
Psychiatrists agree that emotions are the most common cause of fatigue, and not positive emotions like joy and contentment, but negative ones like feelings of boredom or anxiety and being unappreciated. Now, psychiatrists have also found that it works the other way around too. Fatigue produces more worries and negative emotions. Therefore, we should rest and relax frequently before we feel tired, because if not, worries and fatigue will accumulate on top of each other. Now, it's impossible to worry when we are relaxed, and regular rest helps us maintain our ability to work effectively. Consider Frederick Taylor, who is employed at the Bethlehem Steel Company, where his aim was to increase the rate at which workers could load steel into freight cars. What do you think he did to accomplish this goal? Somewhat counterintuitively, he instructed the workers he was experimenting with to rest more than the other workers. 36 minutes of every hour to be specific. So, what was the result? The workers in question were able to load almost four times as much steel as his colleagues, who did not conserve their strength by resting in such an organized fashion, but rather did so only when they became tired. The lesson from the psychiatrist and Mr. Taylor could not be more clear and simple. Rest and relax before you get tired and your worries greatly decrease. Number 11, enjoy your work and negate stress by being organized. There are few greater sources of misery in life than having to work day in, day out at a job you despise. Being successful in your job depends on having a good time while you work. Thomas Edison, who labored 18-hour days transforming industrial America, famously said, I never did a day's work in my life. It was all fun. It would make sense then that we shouldn't pick a job we hate or even just dislike doing. If, for instance, your parents are pushing you into the family business, which you're not interested in, you should certainly consider their advice carefully. Most likely, they have a lot more experience than you do. But it's you, ultimately, who must decide what kind of work will make you happy. Phil Johnson's father owned a laundromat and had hopes that his son would work in the business and eventually take it over. But Phil was uninterested, choosing instead to work as a mechanic. While his father was shocked by this decision, Phil himself was happy as he got to work with machines, which fascinated him. This very interest would later propel him to the presidency of the Boeing Company. But say you already have a job. How can you make it more enjoyable and worry-free? One way is to stay organized. A desk full of clutter is sure to breed worries. Take, for example, the story of a Chicago business executive who was so nervous and worried that he sought out a doctor's opinion and support. And during the consultation, he noticed that whenever the doctor was interrupted by someone with a minor matter, like asking for advice about a trivial issue, the doctor, rather than postpone it, dealt with it immediately. Intrigued, the executive started to do the same. And within six weeks, he was fine. Worrying can be detrimental to our physical and mental health. And because of its impact, we should prioritize finding ways to deal 
with our worries. Thanks for listening to The Motivated Mind with your host, Scott Lynch. I hope you enjoyed my deep dive into how to stop worrying and start living. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Motivated Scott. Don't forget to join me every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. I love you all, and thanks so much for listening. Motivated Mind is a legacy division.